Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless touch by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club. Listen to the end credits for information on joining. This is Cash. This is Mark. This is Jim. And uh, I do believe this is episode number 450. So not really a milestone, but it is a round number. So, uh, Mark, you were talking today at lunch about a service that the post office gives that I actually had no idea existed. Yeah, uh, this is a service that uh, that the Postal Service has called USPS Package Intercept. Um, Circle R for a registered trademark, I guess. Um, (laughs) Ask for it by name. Yeah, I had had inadvertently sent a... um, a stamp to a uh, a collector, uh, but I got the wrong address. So um, I thought, oh, gosh, how can I how can I fix this? Typically, I would just email the the recipient, say, hey, can you you know mark it you know res- return to sender? Um, but I went on the USPS website because it was a, a, a an envelope that I sent with a, a ground advantage with tracking, and there's this service called uh, Package Intercept. So I thought, oh, I'll give this a try. Um, so it's a service that costs seventeen dollars. Um, I believe for the service, and then I think there's going to be an additional charge because they're going to intercept the package and then put it in a priority envelope to return it to me. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to use a flat rate envelope or a, or or a tieback. Um, I have it, a funny feeling they're going to use a sticker. Right, <laughs> just they're just going to use the <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever the most expensive version is. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's still in process. I started it about a week ago, and I still don't have. Um, any confirmation of I, I got the confirmation email that that it's in the works, but I don't have any kind of update yet. So in a future podcast, I'll tell you how it all turns out if it if it turns out okay. But I think it I think it is working because the package was originally slated for delivery on Monday and today's Thursday, and it still hasn't been delivered. So I, I'm not sure where in the in the mail stream that it actually gets intercepted, and I suspect it's. At the at the uh, delivery post office, they probably get some sort of a, a flag on it, and maybe it's sitting in a bin somewhere or sitting on somebody's desk. I can't imagine that there's a lot of people that that use this service. Yeah, it's it's expensive for sure. Yep. Yeah, seventeen bucks. What, what did you say? What did you sell that you would send seventeen dollars to get it back? I, it was only like a hundred sixty dollars stamp, but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so but I, I just had to try it, you know, yeah. just to see if it if it works. So, uh, so yeah, I'll I'll let you know how it, how it all works out and how long it takes and that type of thing. But uh, but that's what's happening right now. It sounds interesting, and I had no clue that package intercept ex- existed. It, it's very odd. Yep, interesting. That's that's why I called it remorse. Yeah, yeah, sender's remorse yep. instead of buyer's remorse. Well, um, I was watching a YouTube that I thought was very interesting. Uh, it, you know, it pops up on your feed. And this one was about the history of Nauru, N A 
you are you. It's a uh, part of the Australian New Zealand archipelago. And it's interesting because it's an island and you have the stamps. You got all the postal history and you have people sending letters from there to Australia. Most of the people who were there were business people. There is an indigenous population, but it's relatively small. I think that if I remember correctly, there's 12,000 people on the island. And I've seen, I've seen lots of stamps from there. So, you know, they're popular stamps. They look cool. But Nauru is an interesting place. They strip mined the center of the island for phosphate. <clears throat> and um, basically, only now around the edges of the island can you live. And they strip mined the entire island since like the 1940s. And very, very interesting. Uh, watch the YouTube if you want to see an interesting story about something which is stamp related. You can actually get the postal history. And uh, I'm going to be looking for some Nauru covers next time I go to a stamp show. Hmm. So it's basically the sound the dog makes when it hears a siren. No. <laughs> 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 um. I wanted to point this out because I got a lot of emails and I have no clue how I did it. Uh, I lost an episode and I accidentally posted a duplicate of the same episode twice a while ago. Yes, I got like 10 people saying, uh, is there another episode? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, you were not. Uh, we are aware that occurred, but we were aware like several weeks afterwards, it happened during Christmas break. So uh, we weren't all operating at 100% anyway. Anyway, so Jim, what do you got there? Well, we're doing cross my desk. Yes. Why not? What Why crossed not? your desk? What crossed my desk? I had a copy of the, um, oh, Excuse me. We're going to talk about that first. Oh, yeah. He let, just, crossed let, let, just crossed my desk. Let's, uh, Scott just brought it in. Scott just walked in with a 573 full, full sheet. sheet of this the is $5 Liberty. Of the fourth bureau issue. Fourth bureau issue. The, the red stamp with the blue center. The blue center is uh, the, it's not Statue of Liberty. It's the statue Sa on top of the uh, Capitol. Yeah, the Liberty. Is that Liberty? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I think. I think. No, it's I think it's something else, isn't it? Well, Lady Liberty. Lady. Oh, it, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> the head of Freedom statue. There oh, you go. Yeah, there. Freedom, <clears throat> Lady Lady Freedom. But anyway, yeah, this is a, a very very beautiful complete full, sheet. Full pay, yeah, it's a full full paint of a hundred, and it's. Um, one of the interesting things that we were talking about this at lunch is that this is the same format that the C3 was printed in. And so when they cut them into panes of 50, they created straight edges. No. No, that's not right. Scott reminded me. Oh, they, so Scott is going Scott, to join us going to join us, so tell us about uh, okay, it. Okay, hold they on. They cut it so it would fit in the drawers of the... Of the um, Postal drawers, because it's bigger than normal. All right, yeah. So um, the 573 and the C3 
um, are basically the same format. It's a sheet of 100. But for the C3, what they did is they trimmed the two of the sheet margins off so that the sheets would fit flat in the post office drawers. Oh, just to, uh, just to verify, they didn't trim two off on the first printing. And that's why I'm looking for a bottom straight-edged copy with selvage on the right side. Because that'll be from the first printing of the Right, C3. they trimmed off the left side and the bottom. Right. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> to make them fit into the sheet, into the, the sheet, fit the sheet into the drawer. So, um, yeah, the other th interesting thing about 573 is there's two shades. Yes. And uh, the, the darker Carmen Lake and dark blue shade is a little, it's a later printing, but it is, it, it carries a higher catalog value, which is a little, uh, Odd because you would figure that they made the second printing because they were running low on $5 stamps. So more of them w would have been sold and more of them would have been used. And so there should be more of the mint later printing available, yet the later printing carries a higher value. Man, like double the price. So. Oh, no, way, way more than double, isn't it? You got a catalog in front of you. What? I've got a twenty twenty two, and um, the hinged is uh, ninety for the for the regular colors, and the five seventy three A is one hundred and eighty. And what is the oh. never hinge price? <clears throat> never hinge price uh, one eighty versus three seventy five. So uh -huh. it is. So it is double. How about used? Mine is used. I have a used copy. Uh, again, double fifteen dollars versus thirty. No. So this this sheet uh, is uh, valued probably in the range because uh, it gets a premium for being a full sheet. I would uh, and a add beautiful sheet, a beautiful sheet too. Yes, it's not it's it's decently centered. Um, I would I would say twenty five thousand dollars. Yep, would be a fair market price for this sheet. Maybe a little more. Because not that many of them exist. And it's a cool one because, again, it's got, it doesn't have straight edges. There are no straight edges, but it has the guidelines going through it. So you have the cross guidelines in the right. center. So and you have that. the center line block of four in the middle. and It divides it basically up into, yep. yep. I'm using finger quotes, panes of 25. Yep. But on this pane, the, only, the plate numbers only exist at the top. So the only plate block you can get out of this would be a top plate block. And ideally, you'd like to have a block of 12, um, but I believe the block of 8 is uh, also listed in the catalog. So C3s were use, are used the same plate layout. C3As, all the straight edges are left side straight edges, correct? Or are there bottoms no, also? No, they're, they're right side. I believe they're right side straight edges. Right and bottom? Yeah. I think right and bottom. Okay. Now, these plate the plate numbers on this sheet have an F in front of them. Does anybody know what the F means? Yes, but we can't say it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, F you do. <laughs> Mark, you want to read what the catalog says about the F? Wait, it doesn't show on here. It should be in the catalog information in the front. Anyway, it stands. Uh, it tells you that the plate had been hardened after it was uh, made. 
And before it was used. So effing hard. Yes. That's that's but that's what, that's what they used for the indication so that you know that the plate was hardened after it was uh, made. See, my whole weird thing... And normally, on, on a regular uh, a regular large uh, sheet of, like, a Washington Franklin or something, these are small sheets that are special for the high values. Uh, the regular large sheets of 400, uh, they would only mark the the upper right pane, and the top, the top plate block in the upper right pane would be so, the only one mark. So you will have plate blocks that do not have the F number. Correct. With the number. Correct. And that would come from the upper left pane of 100. Mm-hmm. Or 50 if it was a uh, commemorative. Yeah, my uh, the question I always had about the color variety on this is that the red is definitely a different color of red. Yes. It's a brownish red. It's, it's well, it's red It's brown. called Carmen Lake in the catalog. Yeah, it, it's more like a reddish brown more than... It's, it's more of like a deep, deep Carmen. But my question is, I can see, you know, they changed the color of the red. But they changed the color of the blue also. And that's yes. weird. Why yes. did they do both? It, it's like, well, obviously, you know, it's the ink supplies. But both inks were replaced. That well, maybe it was odd. a really bright day when they mixed the ink pots. I don't know. <laughs> I don't it, have an explanation for it. It is a very distinctive stamp. But though. yes, yes. It goes from blue to dark blue, and it goes from Carmen to Carmen Lake. So yeah, the both both colors on the variety are uh, more uh, vibrant, and more intense. Oh, do any exist with one and not the other? No. So the darker no. blue no. with the no. regular no, there's, carmine. There's no combinations yeah. that exist. So it's the printing. Itself. It's a different printing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark's still looking for it. Oh, it's right here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of different uh, um, number or letters that appear. The F is used to indicate the plate is ready for hardening. Uh, appears only on flat plate and generally uh, precedes the upper right plate number. Um, there's an EI that's an abbreviation for electrolytic iron. Uh, designation for the plates made by the electrolytic process. There's a CS and C that oh, indicate. That the plate uh, has been chromium plated. Oh, I never knew what that was. And then the A on flat plates is used on plates having uniform vertical spacing between rows of subjects, but wider than those with the star marking. Huh? So, the this this opened up a whole discussion on the importance of reading the information at the front of the catalog. There's about thirty pages worth of information it talks about the printing processes and the errors errors that can occur in colors and, and values and there's all sorts of good information up there and they do update that information every year so there will be small tweaks additions and things like that every year so uh, you probably don't need to read it every year but you should probably re- read it every three or four years um you know, just flip through it after you've read read it once and, and really understand it. And then just every year, two years, three years, go through and, and review it all. And uh, so you can catch some of the changes that they make. But it's good information. It, it helps you learn about your stamps. 
and about the some of the different listings in the specialized catalog. Well, up until I'm going to say a minute and a half to two minutes ago, I had no clue that the letter in front of the plate block actually meant anything. I thought it was just some, you know. Part of the number. <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> F is because Fred put the number on or something like that. That's why you're a downstairs guy. <laughs> Does the F carry a premium? Generally not. Oh, then I don't care. <laughs> now but, I know why I don't know. But that depends. I mean, if you're a plate block collector, you may want to have one with the F and one without the F. Oh. Or if you're a chromium-plated plate collector. Yeah. So in that respect, yeah, it, it may carry a premium, but um, this particular, the 573 plate only has one position where the, where the plate numbers are, but on a lot of, um, on a lot of the lower value, all the lower values, there are going to be plate numbers on the side, on the bottom, and on the top. So the, F, the, the, marking, the marking with the plate number in addition to the plate number is only going to appear in that one position on, out of all of those. So essentially, yes, it is rarer, but as far as with or without, uh, they should be evenly distributed because yeah, one, one side or the other. Now, I collect number 10s and 11s, as everybody knows. We know the difference between hardened and not hardened plates. Right. Can you tell whether it's hardened or not hardened on the $5, 573 there? Well, it tells you the plate was ready for hardening, and all the plates were hardened after right. that was added. But can you tell the a hardened from a non-hardened None plate? of them were printed on unhardened plates. So the F is really meaningless. In this instance, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One other reason why up until a couple of minutes ago, I didn't know. I've never really examined uh, the plates without the hardened. Uh, any any issues that had both hardened and unhardened plates. I had never really uh, examined that Yeah, for what you're saying. On early U.S. stamps, the difference would, between hardened plates and unhardened plates is really noticeable. And it helps you with plating and identification well, yeah, and a bunch be, of stuff. Yeah, because the plate wears a lot faster if it's not hardened. Oh, yeah. Huge, yeah. And, you know, if they were hardening plates back in the 1850s, you're going to have to expect that by the time you get into the 20th century, all the plates were hardened. Well, back in the 1850s, a printing company, and it didn't matter whether you were printing stamps or banknotes or whatever, they would make unhardened plates. Because hardening is tough, and you can destroy the plate by doing it. Um, so they'd make a plate. They would print between twenty and 25,000 impressions, then clean it as best they could, and then make another fifteen to 20,000 impressions, and then basically throw the plate away because the detail, it, it, you couldn't clean it anymore. The detail was wearing away and stuff like that. U.S. number 11A from plate number one, you would expect 40, 45, maybe 50,000 impressions. They made like 185,000 impressions. So at the end of the print run, these they just look like sort of blurry, smeared colors. I mean, it actually, it changed the color. Um, they 
are much more orange browny. You have no. It's a very very interesting thing. Well, you, you mentioned that hardening. Uh, you can you can break the plate or damage it. That's because in the hardening process, it makes it more brittle. Um, yes, but during the <clears throat> what hardening is is um, they would heat superheat the uh, the plates were made out of steel. Well, any anybody who's taken a metallurgy course knows that that to, when something gets harder, it becomes more brittle, and when you at that time. Most of the printing occurred in the northeast of the country, which has, as we know, some wonderful weather in the wintertime, <laughs> as well as the summertime, and changes in temperature can affect yep. metal. Well, I've uh, seen our demographics, and remarkably, very, very few of our listeners are metallurgists. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, so what they do is um, they would heat up the plates. The plates were made out of steel. They'd heat it up. The carbon would mix with the steel and give it sort of a, the top layer of molecules or atoms. I, I do not know which, but it would give the top plate sort of a higher carbon content, which would make it harder. Now, what also would happen is it would shrink, uh, you know, it would, expanding contract the plate and that's why plate number five had a big crack in it that's why the one center uh, plate number two has a big huge crack is because when they hardened these it would expand contract and all of a sudden they would wound the plate and plate number zero for those of you who know number tens any anybody a big piece of it fell off it literally a, broke anybody who's pieces. interested in learning about how hardening can affect metals should uh, google the uss schenectady the USS Connectedy was a ship that, while it was moored, uh, basically broke in half. <laughs> um, it's called brittle fracture. When the temperature changed, the metal was, uh, it, it exceeded the tolerances and the metal just fractured under its, uh, under its own weight. Mm. So the ship basically broke in half at the pier. And you should be able to find some pictures of that on the internet. It's the USS Connectedy. So, uh... Now I know whenever I look for plate blocks, if I see the F, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I wonder if uh, F plates have any hairline cracks or anything like that. Because there's a lot of, like, gripper cracks. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure the uh, cl the the Cloudy French plate variety book yep. would uh, list a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's a lot that's been found since that book was published, but that still has a huge, huge amount of information on, on plate varieties that were reported uh, back when these stamps were issued. Yeah, up until I, mean, I have some uh, stuff from some of the contributors to Cloudy French. Uh, great book, anybody who is really into uh, plate varieties. And it's not a very expensive book. Yes, plate varieties. It's it's not expensive, but it is hard to find. Uh, last I checked, I believe the United States Stamp Society still had them available for about 40 bucks. Oh, okay. So it, it's not hard to find. It's hard to find if you don't go to the Stamp Collector Society. <laughs> if, if you don't seek out a collector society or you don't uh, have interaction with, you know, people other than just... Um, you know, beginner and, and maybe intermediate level collectors that don't know this 
or haven't been exposed to it, then yeah, that'll be hard to find. Well, for but you're not going to go to the library and find one either. Yeah. For example, the uh, two cent fourth bureau issue that this uh, five dollar stamp came from, the two cent red uh, Washington stamp. They list a variety in the catalog that's long ear. Yes. Well, in actuality, there's about 175 different things, and they just took the long ear for some reason. Because the long ear is one of the more visually see I'm recognizable. Going to, I'm going to disagree because there are some much more visually recognizable. I, I agree, but for some reason, the long ear was one of those ones that that really got people's attention. I personally think the Smiling George is much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. And but it's not as large of a plate variety uh, on on the image as the long ear is. I think it, and this goes back to uh, Pigeon Blood Pink, I think it really has a lot to do with the name. The long ear has a... Interesting name. I don't know. Smiling, I think Smiling George. Smiling George. Is yeah, but Smiling George should be there too. Yeah. I mean, well, at least it's listed. Yeah, it's like it the, is now. Yes. Yeah. It's like the five cent aviation issue. It doesn't just have bump on wing or something like that. It has groundhog on yeah. wing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's not a groundhog. That's a bump. <laughs> it's kind of like the Hawaiian flying goose. Yeah, flying goose. Same thing. Yeah. It's just, actually, it's just pop. Yeah, it's but a, it looks like a goose. It looks more like a Nike sort of swish than anything. Yeah. It, it was caused by a rust spot that sort of smeared oh, off to the left, or excuse me, to the right. Yep. Uh, when it before it was called the flying goose, it was called the comet variety. Right. And so uh, it does look like a comet too. Yeah. Yeah. I got a. Uh, Funny thing there, the flying goose varieties are very, ex- relatively very expensive stamp. Uh, you know, it's like on a dollar stamp and it's worth like $300. So, but uh, I bought a bunch of them and the person didn't realize it because he had two comets and he didn't put two and two together that the comets were flying gooses. So he sold them all to me just as plate varieties. Um, interesting thing about that issue is. Out of the 200 stamps, I think only about 25 or 30 of them don't have a plate variety. I mean, they have double transfers and all sorts of stuff. And, and if you wanted to plate them, they're, except for those 25 positions, they're really, really cool to plate. I, I put together a plating of it. Anyway, we are so far off the subject now. Jim, back to you. <laughs> well, I had a four-cent Colombian... Air of Color, 233A, across my desk. It was a uh, unused, of course. Um, well, I say of course. There are 15 known used ones. We'll oh, talk, I didn't know that. We'll talk about it in a second. But anyway, so the um, this was a very, very nice copy. And it um, had a bonus because it was uh, initialed and signed on the back by Herbert Block. Oh. So... Uh, authenticated by him. Um, the interesting thing about this issue is that I do not have a reference copy for this 233A. Remarkably. Remarkably so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but if you, but I do have a reference copy of a one cent Colombian 
and a four cent Colombian. And the uh, spectrogra- according to um, spectrographic analysis that was done on the air stamp, it has the same pigment um, components that the one cent has. So it very closely uh, mirrors the one cent stamp. And um, you could really tell that in the copy that we had here, that it was, you know, you, you put it up against a one and a four cent, regular four cent blue, or they call ultramarine. And yeah, it's, it's definitely that darker blue. So anyway, here's the, here's the interesting thing about it. The four cent airs, um, there were uh, three sh- sh- panes that have, were found that got into collector's hands. But the few used ones that there are, which are those 15 that are, by the way, I got that off of uh, Siegel's um, census. So anybody that's looking for really, really rare stamps, you want to see what they look like and what they are, they have a census of all these rare stamps. But anyway, the Siegel census has 15 used copies. And it's obvious from experts that they come from another pane than the three that are known unused Mm. or mint. So at least four panes must have got out there. And obviously, if we only have 15 of those other 50, then we probably have lost most of them. Yeah. But keep looking. You might find one on an envelope someday. Yeah, this is a stamp that you could possibly find. Mm -hmm. However, and I fell into this because I thought I found one. The stamp is ultramarine, which is a grayish blue. Right. Then you have what people call, or we call, what PSE calls, bright Bright. ultramarine, which doesn't have any gray in it, and it looks really blue. Yeah, it looks blue. Whereas, in my here is my opinion. The way that my eyes see the stamp, it's blue with a greenish cast to it. It's sort of like a, it's a slight greenish blue. And you will be looking through these and you will find blue, blue. And it's like, unfortunately, that's not the blue that you're looking for. And it's a rare shade, but my bright blue, or excuse me, my bright ultramarine, is a one in five thousand stamp. Yeah, it's a rare color. Too. It's a rare color, but it's not listed. And the um, the name is kind of because uh, they call it blue, and the blue color of air. Yeah, but it's but it's not as blue as that blue that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, my yeah, blue is more dull. blue. It, yeah, it, it's yeah. a darker darker blue. Yeah. And I I was surprised because I had been told and I had heard that. If you have one of each, the one cent and the four cent, it it closely resembles the one cent. And I was thought, oh, well, we'll test it. And so I carried around that reference copy. And one day we got one in here, and sure enough, it it was actually darker than the reference copy of the one that I had, the one cent. But it was def- definitely was not that bluish, greenish blue, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a pretty shade. No, it's not. So, yeah, so if you're looking at a four-cent Colombian and it's a pretty shade of blue, 
then you're pretty sure it's not a two thirty three. You're gonna, your mood is gonna turn pretty blue. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, what crossed your desk? Uh, well, I was looking at um, uh, the um, Hawaiian sesquicentennial overprints. This is Scott number uh, six forty six and six forty seven. Uh, overprinted in black. It's uh, Scott numbers um, 634 and, six, and 637 that were overprinted and became 647 and 648. Um, and uh, oddly enough, these stamps are faked. And you wouldn't think that they are because they're, they're kind of, you know, cheap stamps. Um, you know, the 634 is like uh, a quarter, you know, for, for, for a mid copy. But the... Uh, but the you know the six forty seven is four bucks, and um, so you could pocket three seventy five and buy yourself uh, yeah well what about, what well six forty eight six forty eight's a little bit better because um, it's like three twenty I think um, for um, for a never inch copy whereas the uh, if it's a six forty eight it's twenty one fifty so you make a little bit more profit but um, the way you can tell whether or not these the ones that you have are fakes is if you look carefully at the overprint, every part of the overprint is the same thickness. All the letters are the same thickness. Um, the, uh, the numbers are all uniformly thick uh, all around. Um, so if you've got a, uh, a situation where, like you're looking at the I in Hawaii, and the bottom is thicker than the top, that's likely a rubber stamp. Um, it's, it's likely a fake. And so the fakes that I have, um, uh, it's, it's not readily available, but when you are, are not, it's not readily, uh, seen, but when you put the two together, a real and a fake, um, it really starts to, um, uh, you know, it really starts to show up. The other thing too, is that, uh, all the 647s are basically the same shade, mm-hmm. um, whereas, um, uh, six four, uh, 634s are all different shades. And so the fake that I have in my reference collection, the red is a way different shade from, from the real stamp. And again, uh, this was done almost at the same time as the Kansas-Nebraska's. Everybody is aware of Kansas-Nebraska fakes. But, yeah, you're, when you showed me the uh, Hawaii fake, it's the first one I actually ever saw. Yeah. Yeah, the blues are a little bit harder to, to tell because the blue is really, really close to the shades. But the... Um, but yeah, the the overprint is what gives it away. Um, if the if the letters and the numbers are not uniformly thick uh, at every point, um, then it's likely a rubber stamp. And also the ink too. Um, you know, when you think of a rubber stamp and you're and you and you put it in the ink pad, then you push it down on the paper. There, it kind of squishes out on one side or the other. If it or if you know or squishes out to the edges, um, that's another telltale sign. Um, because on the on the real ones, it's all a uniform black color throughout the whole uh, overprint. Yeah. Well, the, I have a follow up from uh, last week's podcast on the Carbon Lakes. Uh, yeah, you've, Scott, you you actually have one, don't you? Yes, I do. It's actually a single stamp that's back in as a reconsideration. Uh, because we called it the normal shade, and the submitter thinks it is the Carmen Lake shade. And I'm looking at it, and I'm comparing it, and I think that um, both under normal light and UV light, that it is not the normal shade, or not the Carmen Lake shade. Well, 
under normal light, it's much darker. And so I can see why the person is saying, hey, why the heck did you not give this? Look at the color. And it's like, yes, the color, but you got to look under UV light. Yeah, the, this is one of the problems I had when we first started doing this. The This Carmen Lake is not the same color as the 219 Carmen. It's also Carmen not Lake. the same as the 573. Yeah. A. Yes, that's right, because those are darker. Yeah. But you look at this stamp that was resubmitted, and it is darker than the one that is actually the Carmen Lake variety or the listed variety. So would you call that a, a deep Carmen or a yes. dark Carmen? Yes. Deep Carmen is the, instead of Carmen Lake? Yes. Is a better designation for it. It is, and I, I understand it's not a catalog listed shade, but it is a shade that we recognize here uh, because we see so many of these. And we have, you know, when they're close, I mean, they, they do kind of look sort of like that it might be that but it's not well i'm not going to do across my desk i'm going to give a sales pitch instead uh for those of you who do not know i am the president of the national stamp dealers association the nsda and uh anybody who is listening who is a stamp dealer should consider joining the national stamp dealers association uh, the cost is $75, uh, but if you pay before February 28th or 29th, I don't know if this is a leap year or not, if you pay in February, we literally half the price because people pay early and you know stuff like that. And so uh, what I wanted to address, though, is you know I was asked, well, what do you get for being an NSDA member? And the answer is you get nothing. That's a bargain. <laughs> you, you get nothing. Your customers is what gets something. And your customers are actually the customers of the NSDA. Your customers have the ability to return stuff better and know that there's an organization which is going to back up your returns, back up that you're describing stuff correctly, uh, things like that. Well, the person then said, well, all my customers already trust me, and I totally understand that. Here's the problem. What about people who are not your customer yet? What you get from the NSDA is nothing. What your customers get is faith that you are a good dealer. And so... If you are a dealer, if you sell on eBay, or obviously if you're a table dealer or something like that, um, you know, if you go to stamp, sell at stamp shows, consider joining the National Stamp Dealers Association. Like I said, uh, you can pull us up on the website, nsda.org. Uh, we are a nonprofit, obviously. And so if you have any questions, feel free to email me cash at gradingmatters.com you know just say hey tell me about this nsda and i'll send you all the information but like i said it is a relatively inexpensive way to give your customers some faith that you are a good dealer who is willing to take back returns and knows what they are doing so with that sales pitch 
Anything else? I would never be part of a club that would have me as a member. (laughs) (laughs) Keep collecting. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. (laughs) Because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still clown was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.